0: Hey, welcome to the 1505 Club. Today, we're going to be continuing our theme of communication. My guest today is my favorite guest that I've had on my show. I've enjoyed all my guests, but today's guest is my favorite because it's my wife, Dr. Danielle Gilbert. Dr. Danny, as her patients call her, has an undergraduate degree in speech pathology and audiology from University of Nevada, Reno. Her dental degree is from Oregon Health and Science University, and her pediatric residency was with Lutheran Medical Center. She's a board-certified pediatric dentist. And I asked her to join me because of her phenomenal skills in the area of behavior management. As chiropractors, we don't talk much about behavior management. So I hope you'll approach this with an open mind and see how we as chiropractors might benefit from this knowledge. So without any further ado, Dr. Danielle Gilbert. Dr. Danny, thank you for joining us today.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> it's so weird to hear you call me Dr. Danny. <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> yeah.
0: So, um, can you start off by telling everybody how you got into dentistry and how you ended up in pediatric dentistry and what pediatric dentistry even is?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Um, so, actually, I had kind of a different path to dentistry than maybe a lot of my colleagues. Um, and in college, and it's kind of a long story how I even ended up in this in college, but in college I was a speech pathology and audiology major. And um, while, to be honest, I really loved the field, there was part of me that um, just kind of wanted sometimes just to go and fix something. Audiology is amazing, but to be honest, it was a lot of diagnosing hearing issues, but not a lot of ability to really fix the problem. And speech path, um, it's a very wide field, but I again, it's a lot of kind of trying to coach and teach and, and trying to get some of your patients to kind of get where they need to go. And there, you know, there was a part of me that just wanted to go fix something. And to be honest, I was always probably kind of medically driven, um, anyway. So it's kind of a long story that I ended up in speech path, but from there, um, kind of had some doors open to me to kind of see into the world of dentistry. And I ended up jumping ship and going into into dentistry and went to dental school. And um, when I left for dental school, one of my uh, um, one of my head instructors in speech pathology, when I had to break the news to her that I was in fact jumping ship and going from speech pathology into dentistry, I remember her words to me were, "Okay, Danny, but whatever you do, you better work with kids one day." She's like, "You're." you're really passionate about kids and you just need to work with kids today, one day, one day, with whatever you do. So I think I went into dental school kind of with the idea in the back of my head about maybe pediatric dentistry as a specialty. But um, once I got into dental school, yeah, I think part of it was like, okay, I'm just going to try to survive dental school. <laughs> um, but the other was I, I didn't actually always see maybe the best examples of what pediatric could look like. In dental school and I kind of left dental school kind of thinking oh gosh I don't think I'm I don't think I'm hardcore enough for pedo because to be honest some of what I saw was like this I honestly felt like maybe I cared too much about kids because some of the examples I, I saw was it kind of felt a little bit more like the ones that were heading in that area it was ah, the kids upset that's okay. They just brushed it off, <laughs> and then that wasn't me. That was like you know I felt like well you know if the kids having a hard time like I was having a hard time, and it's just like I don't know. I felt like maybe I was too close to it, so went out um, practice for about five years. But during that time, I um, I got kind of recruited by a pediatric dentist to come work for him. And at first, I was like, well, but I'm not pedo. Why? Why would I? You know, why would you want me? I'm not pedo. I'm not a specialist. Um, but, uh, he kind of kept pursuing, he's like, no, no, I think, I think you'd be good in this. So long story short, ended up taking the job a month into that position. Um, I came home one day and said, okay, I think we have a problem. And you're like, what, what, you <laughs> know, do you not like it? And I was like, no, I, I love it. I really think this is what I'm supposed to do, but I'm never going to be okay with halfway. And so every time I kind of chicken out, you'd be like, "Hey, just apply, just apply." So remember, we you know sent in an application, you know, a couple applications. And long story short, ended up getting a PDO residency, which is a two-year residency um, after you know dental school, and uh, then yeah, I became a pediatric dentist, and the rest is history. <laughs> so that was the long story short. Haha. <laughs> <laughs> it's, lo- it's a lot. Long of years. story long. It's a long. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of years.
0: It's got to take a long story. <laughs>
1: That's true. Um,
0: So, with today we're going to be talking about uh, behavior management, um, which is something that you do really well at, and a lot of people tell you you do well at it. You say you don't, but you do it. It seems pretty instinctive, um, and probably works with your personality, because um, you like talking to kids. Uh, <laughs> a funny joke that she would never admit is that if we go to like a party or something, you won't see her talking to the adults. She'll seek out the children, and she'll be <laughs> talking with them. So, it is kind of her personality to do that. Um so, uh, with behavior management, can you start off by telling a little bit about, I think, it's a loaded question, I think you'll see where I'm going with this, but why it's necessary for a pediatric dentist to use behavior management techniques, and how that separates you from a general dentist who might see kids? <laughs> that's
1: a good <laughs> question. Well, that's a, okay, that's a loaded question. I so, told you. <laughs> um, you know, so much of what we do, I think, in dentistry anyway, to be honest, and what, okay, so I'm going to actually back up a little bit. I remember years ago talking to you, and I felt like you gave me the best definition. I think you stole from somebody else about what a true professional is. No, I made that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you said that you know a true professional is somebody who makes something really difficult look easy.
0: I, I always say that the truest sign of a professional is the ability to take something incredibly complicated and make it look so easy that everyone thinks they can do it.
1: So... <laughs> Honestly, with dentistry in particular, even general dentistry and all the different subspecialties of it, but especially in pedo. Because pedo, you're taking it out to this next level. But dentistry in general, I mean, I think that if you, I don't want to say if you don't like psychology, but if you can't handle the psychology of dentistry and all that that entails, then you really, you're not going to do well in this space. You're going to Let's just say there's a reason why when I even went into dental school, people constantly were like, don't you guys have a high suicide rate? I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a tough profession. Um, But pedo, it just, it takes it to that whole next level because if you can't, if you can't gain a child's trust, also a parent's trust, because now you really are not just working with just your patient. In order to work with your patient, you have to also be working with the parent or the guardian. If you can't win them both over, then you're not going to be able to help them. So if you can't work with the psychology behind what's going on with them, you're not even going to get to a place where you really can do the dentistry to help them. And then, and then, you know, what good are you? What, what good, you know, can you offer? And again, with um, <laughs> pediatrics, it's kind of like going from general where you know general think of it more like simple i shouldn't say simple addition but like we're talking maybe addition maybe subtraction maybe some multiplication but like pedo you're also talking algebra because you're trying to solve for x and y <laughs> because you have the kid who's maybe x you got the parent who's the unknown of y
0: they're both anxious
1: they're both often anxious <laughs> and you have to figure out which one's more anxious which one's causing more the anxiety you got to figure out which one it starts with because it might not start with the kid. It might start with the parent. Mm-hmm. And the kid's feeding off the parent. Or it might start with the kid. Maybe the kid is what we call once burned twice shy. They had a bad experience. And the mom remembers that. And now mom's really nervous because she remembers that the kid and the kid remembers it. And like, so it might not have anything to do with mom or the kid or the dad. It might, have, it might be cousin Billy who told him a horror story about going to the dentist. This kid's never had a bad experience but they are now living by curiously by somebody else. Who has. So mm-hmm. unless you can kind of quickly assess and wrap and are kind of prepared on how to deal with those things, then, then, um, uh, it can be really hard to ever get to what you're really there to do, which is try to help them with their dental need. So,
0: yeah. Well, and I wanted to talk about this because there's a lot of chiropractors want to see kids, um, whether the chiropractor's is male, or female, or whatever, but they want to see kids. Um, and this aspect of it is not something we talk about very often. And yet, from what I've seen on the dental side, I see how important it is. And then only recently am I seeing that what I'm learning on the dental side spills over onto the chiropractic side. Yeah. And I'm able to do things I couldn't do before because it's an area that was never really even brought up. And so I think that's where it's useful for anybody, as we talked about before, that a lot of Gonstead doctors want to be family doctors, which is great. But family doctor means that once in a while you've got to see kids – and yet you do it, have to do it with perfection on those occasions. And maybe you might go weeks without seeing one or you might see, have a day where you see a bunch of them and some are young and some are old and it's all over the yeah. place. And then you're back to seeing adults again, but you got to have those tools to pull out when you need them. Yeah. And and sometimes those tools are great for adults because some adults are just big children. <laughs> <When> <laughs> well, no, I was going to say, actually, it. I mean, because
1: even when it's, it's just an adult, I, I mean, I have to say part of, I mean, I feel like I am so blessed that I, have learned from so many different mentors. I've learned from so many different fields. So yes, I had my speech path, and I had my mentors within the speech path, and I, and I worked for a couple speech pathologists when I was in college. But you know, I also substitute was a substitute teacher in college for a little while. So I had that. But then you know, I, I've I've seen these different areas and aspects. But I also learned from being a general dentist for about five years because before I went to specialize. I did first work with adults, and I saw a little of everything. And you know, some—I of <laughs> I shouldn't laugh—but some of the most challenging ones would not be the ones you would first think. Um, I had quite a few military. That, to be honest, probably were going through some PTSD themselves. Didn't like loud noises. Didn't like didn't like to be put in corners. Didn't like to be where they you know had their back against a wall kind of thing. I mean, they were dealing with a lot of things. And some of them were like big, big tough guys, tattoos, everything, but terrified of dentistry. So yeah, they're like they're big, they're big chickens. <laughs> yeah. They're big kids in a way. And a lot of times too, recognizing that um, actually a lot of people's fears in dentistry do actually start from when they were kids. I mean they did have that experience, but but you know, first learning how to kind of work with some of those and how to even kind of address the fear maybe even, like, address... At first, it was kind of hard to sometimes call out the fear without making them feel bad, you know, or, like, how how do you even kind of... When you're picking up on the fact that they might be fearful, but you're not wanting, especially if it's a big military guy, for them to be embarrassed, how to, you know, talk about it. So I think that's where, for me, like, it was... For me, humor, actually, was very helpful. Um, But I would say, even with that, um, I always come back to, I think that anyone... Anyone, if they really have a heart for people, can work with people. Anyone who really has a heart for kids can work with kids. And I'm not really a person who necessarily believes that you must have a certain personality type to be good with either people or kids. I think what you must have even more than a personality type is sincerity. Mm -hmm. And then from there, be true to who you are. And I think that was another thing that I kind of figured out, thankfully, pretty early Along my path, is that there's a time to mirror people, and there's a time to take your mentors and kind of mirror them a little bit. You know, like what is it, Kobe, that would always talk about being the black, like kind of coming up with his like alter ego, the black Mamba and stuff. Yeah. There's a time to like, as practitioners, to kind of put some of those tools on your belt. As long as you always come back to being true to who you are, because if you're just trying to practice the way somebody else is practicing, it's going to come off insincere, and you're going to flop anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So um so you know, I don't know if that was kind of helpful, but um, some of like the first things I would kind of put out there, because I know that this is a very large subject and I don't want to get too deep into one little rabbit hole or another, but for just like basic stuff, first again, if you are looking at working with kids, just first have that moment of <laughs> have a moment with silence. First try to figure out who you are in that space. Are you somebody that is whether you even recognize it or not, kids at parties are finding you. You're finding them. You're having conversations with them. And and you're right. You look back at a lot of my dental school photos and stuff, and a lot of my friends had kids and stuff, my classmates. And they're all, I was (laughs) chit-chatting with all of them. But but are you kind of that person, or are you the opposite of that? If you're the opposite of that, if kids make you nervous, you can still work on that. Again, you might be that John Maxwell, you're not starting as an 8 to become a 10. Maybe you shouldn't subspecialize in kids. Maybe you're a 2, but you want to work on how to function to get to be like a 5. But then from there, kind of figure out where you start out with your comfort level with kids. And then start kind of work on kind of getting some assessment tools under your belt. And I'd say the first assessment tool is just learning how to read a kid. Does that make sense? Because, I mean, we do it all the time, but by the time that kids come back to the devil chair, we've never met them before, and we're going to be doing an exam, we're going to try to do a a cleaning, we're going to try to do x-rays, we pretty much have a good, at least, pulse on what that kid's personality type is, right? Would you say? I mean, and after you've been doing it for a while, like,
0: you're reading it. And you hit on something else I think is important, is that a lot of times, um, I think we do this with adults. That we're taught to reflect what yes. to reflect them with kids you can't do that because you can't reflect back what they are <laughs> so when they come into our space into the dental office into the back we are who we are yes. and we maintain that and that actually gives them comfort in our steadiness not our kind of jumping around yes. trying to mimic whatever they're doing.
1: Well, you know, and okay, so the truth is, is there's two different philosophies on that actually, and there's two different kind of trainings on it, and I would say you. Somebody who knows both, you you yes. move between both, between both but yeah. you need to know when you when. move between. But that's also what's so hard for us to even train staff, right? I think it's kind of complicated. But um, so if you have a kid that is what we call kind of shy, slow to warm up. So this is a kid that's walking back. They're kind of hiding behind the parent a little bit. They're ducking behind mom or dad. They're not really making eye contact with you. They're kind of taking it all in. They're looking a little skeptical. They're, not really, they're They're definitely not giving away smiles. This is a kid that you would kind of call a, a shy, slow-to-warm-up child. Now, this kid, you have to build trust. If this kid, if your personality type is a clown, if you are like a disc D dominant personality, you are the bull in the china shop, and your go-to move with kids is to be a clown, you're going to burn that kid. Before you even get past go, you're going to scare that kid away. Um, and I love that it was that actually lesson. I remember it was um, Dr. Mile, good old surgeon, Dr. Mile at OHSU. I'm going to give him some props. And he was a very prim, proper surgeon from from the UK. And I remember he gave advice. He's like, And, he, and his advice wasn't like, oh, please don't. His advice was very UK bulldog, like, do not be stupid. <laughs> but his advice was like, you know, when you come in with me and you meet the, he's like, he's like, don't, don't be a clown. He's like, don't. He's like, a lot of these kids are suffering. A lot of these kids are going through a lot. He's like, they do not need to be scared by a clown. He's like, you be a professional. You be, but, and he wasn't saying exactly in this like whole mirror or reading the kid. But it was definitely something very poignant the way he explained it that made me kind of have a light bulb moment. Uh, for those kind of kids, especially, and he was talking about kids that are getting cancer treatments, mm-hmm. kids that are going through, a lot. I mean, these kids are going through a lot. The last thing they need is that person who thinks, oh, yeah, I'm so good with kids, and they just come in like a bull, <laughs> a bull in a china shop and they're loud and proud and in obnoxious and they're in their <laughs> face. Um, and then another little piece, of, like a little nugget, came from – I'm going to give a lot of props because I'm getting some shout-outs tonight. But um, Dr. Gagnesha, I remember in, in the um, in the pediatric at OHSU, I love how he said, he said, compliment their shoes. Always compliment their shoes. He's like, I don't care if they're the ugliest shoes you've ever seen. I always compliment their <laughs> shoes. <laughs> but the re- And he explained, he's like, the reason why is, like, you know, when you come to a kid and you're immediately just like, oh, hi your son and he's like that can be very intimidating but when you're saying hi to and you're like oh I love your shoes you are talking about something about them you're connecting it to them but without being so personal that it's intimidating without looking so straight at them that it's intimidating and then from there based on their reaction to how you're like oh I like your shoes and how they react lets you know how much more space you can take if they're like, if they're immediately, like, oh yeah, they light up. See, then you can, then you match. Like, oh wow, yeah, that is cool. If if when you say that, oh, I like your shoes, and they're still very kind of quiet and shy, and they but they give you a little half smile, then you stay quiet and shy, and you kind of that's where you can mimic their personality. And if they're seeming kind of shy and many, then you can make yourself kind of small, size wise, and a little bit. Quieter. Quieter and the less scary and less intimidating. So it's not that you don't ever ever want to mirror, but it's knowing when. But it's still being true to your personality type. Again, I think of that proverb, or, or is it proverb? It says, uh, "Love must be sincere." <laughs> it's just kids, kids, and animals.
0: They know insincerity.
1: They know insincerity. If you're, you know, they pick it up so quickly because, honestly, I think like. We talk a lot about how kids and dogs and dog training and everything, but um, especially the younger they are, the more they're reading your body language than they're necessarily listening to your words. So it's very important that it's it's just coming from a place of truth for you that you really, it, you know, that you really are looking for a win for them. You are being that you're kind of in that way being true to your personality, because um, if not, it, it just it just comes across as insincere and they don't go for it.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about some of the um, I guess more structured techniques that we, <laughs> that we use um, and t- on top of just the uh, reading them and that whole thing. There's things like, um, actually one I really like is verbal flooding because um, it's funny how you, you always say with verbal flooding that if assistants or parents don't get what you're doing, they're like, everything's some insane. Um, Because nobody knows that I'm actually using a technique and that it's actually working even more on top of that. So can you talk about verbal flooding, why you use it, what it does, and what it looks like when it's working?
1: Yeah. So I'd say, okay, so, you know, first, when you're kind of first trying to work with the pedo space and anybody, like, first just kind of figure out how to read kids. And then we'll talk about how to read their parents later. But just start getting good at reading kids, deciding when you need to kind of match their their energy level when you need to maybe, you know, go back and forth. And then from there, when you're trying to find a way to kind of break through a kid that is maybe nervous, and for you guys where it would really come into is when you're trying to distract them so that you can get them to go to a place of kind of relaxation before you give that adjustment, right? Because if they're tense, if they're all, you, you can't really get them to a good place for a good adjustment. So one of the techniques is obviously just distraction, OK, like, oh, look at the birdie or, you know, have a TV on. or think. But when you're taking distraction to a whole nother level, because really what verbal flooding is, is a form of distraction. Right. Um, so verbal flooding is the motor mouth. You know, and I always think I can't do it very well, but you think of the guy at the auction. You know, you know the guy that's talking really, really fast. Um, so verbal flooding is a way where you're just you're just motor mouthing it. You're talking about anything and everything, and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes, depending on how hard you're multitasking between, for me, like giving an injection, doing extraction while verbal flooding, and doing all that, you know, depending on how many different places my brain is going, sometimes what you say maybe makes no sense whatsoever. We'll just but keep talking. You, you just go with it. Just go with it. <laughs> but you think of it as um, that auctioneer who's again like, well, da, 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 you know, and you're just trying to overwhelm really their hypothalamus you know, that secretary of the brain, you're trying to distract it with so many different things that the brain is like, you yeah, what? And it doesn't know who to let through to talk to the brain and who not. So really, you're just trying to flood the secretary. So you're so distracting the kid that the kid just kind of gets to a place of, like, of, for you guys, it would need to be getting into where they just kind of relax and then adjust. So, um, for you know, for that technique, what's going to be hard for you guys, I mean, just like it is for us, go home. Look in the mirror and do the whole like where you pat your head and rub your tummy (laughs) because it's the art of multitasking. Um, You know, it's the art of being able to use that verbal skill while doing some hand skills at the same time. I'm
0: only just now starting (laughs) to do some of that. And it's funny when it works, but it's hard enough to do an adjustment to do it while – talking like that. Yeah. But what's, well,
1: what's really fun is you're, if you're doing that with a nervous parent also, because now you're an audience.
0: I was going to say And I, you
1: throw in the nervous parent and you're doing a little bit of all three and then um, you guys don't have to worry about then also giving your assistant directions. But that, That's like four-way rhythm with drums. What
0: I, what I think is hilarious <laughs> is when um, you're doing verbal flooding and you're asking a lot of questions. So it's something like, um, I like the color pink. Do you like the color pink? You know who else likes the color pink is Minnie Mouse. Do you like Minnie Mouse? I like Minnie Mouse. And you're doing that. And she the, is
1: awesome. And, and the, then you start singing it, your words,
0: and, and the uh, and the patient is not answering because you're going so nope. fast. But the parent feels like they should be, so the parent tries to answer for them in the middle of all that. And you're like, I really don't care what the answer is; just yeah. keep talking. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's where it starts to be like this is insane, but yes. it works because it's yeah. so. And
1: that's now where you're no longer taking where you're trying to match that child's personality. You're now taking you're taking kind of control. You're helping kind of get them where they need to be, and you're you're now going off of. You know, a whole different thing. But verbal flooding actually can be a really, really wonderful technique when what we are really trying to do is get them out of their headspace. And when we're talking about phobias, we're talking about irrational fear, and it's a headspace. So you're trying to knock them out of that headspace. Um, so ver- verbal flooding can be good. It can be a little exhausting. I always joke, but at the end of the day, if I've done a lot of verbal flooding, I just come home for about half an hour and just like, um, <laughs> us take a break, but, um, verbal, verbal flooding is a good one. The other is definitely some tell, show, do, and I'm going to really put a little shout out to the fact that if any of you guys are working with patients that are on the spectrum, depending on their age level and their, the level of severity on the spectrum, tell, show, do as a way of, of, uh, gaining trust, but also, um, gaining a sense of peace for the patient in this in that a lot of kids that are on the spectrum you I mean, we see it all the time they they really actually want to know what's going on now you know and I know you can't you can't well for me let's see four years of dental school five years of working <laughs> two years of specialty and then how long have we been out now so it's been yeah I don't know oh wow but you can't you can't explain things to that level but you must dis- you must explain as you go along to a level that satisfies their fear level because that will actually put them at a more place of peace and so tell show do is a really good thing with that so for you, i mean you're not going to explain that it's subluxation or this really, you know so you you know talking in a kid friendly way and again if you're if you're not a super Kitty person you can still talk as the professional that you are if that's more but again just use it at a at a kid appropriate level i always say you need to give age appropriate um dissemination of information
0: i was just gonna go there because and that is
1: my point. yeah i did coin that one i have steal a lot of great information from wonderful people i don't think i've stolen that one from anyone <laughs> but but you know i always talk about it's the age appropriate um, dissemination of information, you wouldn't talk to your two or three year old about wars in the Middle East or you know, but you're not gonna talk to your 16 year old about the tooth fairy. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. I hope. <laughs> so you know, putting things in a language that they understand that's at their level. So um, tell show do would be of course you're gonna you're gonna tell them what you're gonna do, you're gonna show them what you're gonna do, and this you're gonna do it. Uh, so it's tell show do but it's a step by step it does not have to be super complicated um so a lot of times as we're trying to say get a patient ready to be numb you know a lot of times we would use some nitrous and so i if it's a if it's a younger kid we have a lot of jets that fly around here hey do you, guys, do you know what a jet fighter pilot is do you see all the jets that fly well oh yeah oh okay you know we have this nose and i think it looks kind of like a jet fighter pilot nose. does it look like a jet fighter pilot nose to you and then they'll kind of say, yeah, just, you know, and like, you know, but ours is better because ours smells like cherries. And so, you know, so that's kind of part of that whole tell show do. I'm, I'm showing them, you know, so it's going to go in your nose, and we're going to practice breathing through your nose. because when we're we cleaning your teeth. It's going to be a lot of water in there. Kind of hard to breathe with a lot of water, huh? So, you know, we're going to breathe through our nose. So let's practice that. So, again, it's that tell show do. Now, that's maybe for a younger kid. You know, a nervous 16-year-old kid, I'm not going to talk to him that way. Like, you know, <laughs> a, a nervous 16-year-old kid, it might be like, okay, you know, Kelly or Sarah or Jimmy or, you know, or, or Jose. Or what? I know you've had a bad experience. I know you, you're kind of nervous. But I want to make this as gentle and easy as possible for you. This is going to help make it where you don't feel things like you would. Um, it's going to make it less, you know, more comforting for you. And that's also going to help with some of the fear that you have. So, so now that's talking to sixteen-year-olds. I'm doing the exact same thing. We're doing nitrous oxide and putting nitrous on.
0: And neither but. one did you tell. So this is nitrous oxide. It's going to displace the oxygen system <laughs> and like go into this horrible definition of what nitrous does. That's not necessary. It doesn't have to be. This textbook is called
1: <laughs> inhalation sedation. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a little um, schoolhouse rock. <laughs> it does.
0: That'd be inhalation great song. sedation.
1: Um, but yeah. But exactly, exactly, you know, so, but it's just, you know, age-appropriate dissemination. I think sometimes we get
0: caught up in that, thinking that if we're going to explain something to a patient, it's got to be textbook accurate, yeah, and it might yeah. be totally inappropriate for the situation and for where they're at trying to
1: bring them yeah. back well, to the well, you know, situation. and that's really funny because, I mean, I have to, I mean, I kind of think back on how um, I just was fortunate that in college I had a friend, I had a couple friends, and they were all education majors, And they're like, hey, you know, if you need, like, a part-time job, you should get your your substitute teacher's license. And then, you know, if you arrange your classes in a way where you could have, like, at least one day off a week or something, you know, that's a good way to earn a little extra money. And and, um, they talked me into that. And at first I was like, what am I doing? (laughs) But, you know, actually even that, though, that I feel like, well, that was a really good experience because it was working with different age levels. You know, I remember I had one week I – I had a cute little kindergarten class, and then the next week I was at a high school where I was trying to wear my glasses so at least I looked a little bit older <laughs> than the high school students and stuff. But obviously, it was recognizing like I can't go in with the exact same communication style with both a junior and soft, uh, sorry junior and senior your English class as I'm going to go with the kindergartners. It's not going to work out very well. So. And I think people instinctively know that, but sometimes when we're trying to help as practitioners, we forget.
0: Or you don't know what to do different. So yes. you just fall into your pattern of what you do.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I hope that kind of helps. So verbal flooding, tell, show, do. Um, <laughs> should we go into voice control? Yeah, there's voice control, control and yeah. principal
0: talk, but yes. those, yes. So I that's, think those that's are kind good of higher, because, like, yeah, yeah. Because now we're talking about. This is where we take it back to being like dogs yeah. again, <laughs> because um, we see this We're big dogs, dog people. We see where dogs it, yeah. dogs get in front of low rage and they want to attack, and yeah. we have some of that <laughs> And you got to just like butt in, but yeah. um, but kids go into that front of low rage as well. And it seems to me that a lot of parents don't know how to handle it; that they actually they don't. probably handle they it don't. dead wrong, so yeah. they actually make it worse. Which, unfortunately, I think a lot of people do that with dogs too. When dogs go into rage, they don't know how to handle it. So instead of just Handling it, yeah. they end up making it worse because they make more security. So, yeah, there's some techniques for that. When and I doubt we're as likely to see that in, in chiropractic with everyone, no, if, but, but you're you might probably
1: not. And honestly, if it's there, you, pro- you probably just will pass, you just probably won't give the patient yeah, an adjustment.
0: Yeah, we'll just be like, yeah. That's okay. Um,
1: we don't always get that passed because I mean, if we have a kid with an abscess or, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, sometimes you know, but um, so. <laughs> So another technique that is is sometimes used in pedo, that at least we talk about, and, and we all acknowledge that because of the paradigm shift in parenting, and cultural issues and things that way, it's it's called voice control, and but we all see that we we use it a lot less and less because it's less accepted.
0: So, it's still effective. Yeah, but less accepted.
1: Well, and not necessarily because it might be effective on the child but not oh, okay. and you get the reverse reaction from the parent and the parents upset I mean, and then you resolve, can't help right? yeah so you lose and you can't help so um, and granted I'm sure there was probably ways that it was used appropriately and inappropriately in the past but voice control was basically seen as this way of trying to maybe either raise your voice a lot of us do the opposite and we will get quieter but trying to use vocal tonation to snap the child out of uh, of really what would be equivalent to, like, this frontal lobe rage. And so frontal lobe rage, maybe but need I to, shouldn't to, explain this. I was going yes. to explain
0: what that looks like.
1: So, um, so and again, I'm going to give some props to Dr. Anderson, the anesthesiologist, who really was, I love that it was the anesthesiologist in her rotation um, that really was the one explaining frontal lobe rage to me. Um, sometimes, if you think of a kid throwing a temper tantrum, so like a little kid throwing a temper tantrum or a slightly older child who is in a defiant place getting you know into this rage mode um, but the best example is think of two dogs in a dog fight um, what's going on is this over it's basically your frontal lobe rage it's this frontal lobe firing now if you see two dogs in a dog fight And if you're, you know, and this is where I always say, like, if you're really into the pediatric space, you're into psychology, you're like, go watch some Caesar Dog Whisperer. You know, and I know that kind of gets political. Some people love him. Some people don't. But, man, he reads dogs. And he often can see before the dogs get into a dog fight. He sees it coming. And that's where good dog trainers, they see it coming and they avoid it. Um, But also there's, like, Richard Hines in Miami, you know, the guy in upstate New York. I mean, Find some good dog trainers on YouTube and and kind of see what they do. And and you know, there's also some other ones out there that are really into this whole like gentle or I'm trying to remember what they call it, but um where it's like non-oh, it's only like passive techniques and everything. It's hilarious because they're really nice guys. They make zero progress, maybe a little bit, but no, it's funny, but I've watched them too. So, but it's fun to watch these guys and see who's doing a good job. Who's not? Who's reading the dog? Who's not? Because it's it's not perfect, but there are some correlations. And what's interesting is when you see dogs, especially if you're watching like someone like Caesar or something, and you see the dogs that are about to get into a fight, or he needs to break up a dog fight. Here's what you don't see: Honey, no. Why are you fighting? No, please, sweetie. No, you're so brave. You're so good. No, honey, don't do it. I I love you, mommy loves you. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> okay, not how? But how often? Every time. How often? Not not every time, but how Mostly. often? When a kid is in full on frontal low, front low rage, either throwing a fit, and a lot of times, I mean, we're not talking about throwing a fit because we're in the middle of treatment. We're talking about throwing a fit because they don't want to sit in a chair.
0: Yeah, they don't even want to start. They don't even want to be they there. They will not they don't put want the,
1: the nose the on. They yeah. You know, but it's full on like rage. It's full on tantrum. But how often does a parent? Keep telling them what a great job they're doing, how proud they are. Would you do that to a kid? I mean, with a dog and a dog fight? Would you <laughs> ever break that up?
0: It would be comical <laughs> to watch.
1: No, so, I mean, so if you watch someone like Caesar something, I mean, again, he, the best is when he sees it coming. He sees a dog that's about ready to attack another, and what does he do? He steps right in front. He looks big. I mean, he's, not, he's not a six-foot-five guy.
0: And he's not going to hurt the dog.
1: He's not. He's there to try to protect that dog and protect the other. And he looks, he, it's big, right? And he kind of almost gives him a little growl. He almost shows his teeth a little bit. And he, and he just snaps. Right? And, and he just stops him. And he'll just say, no. Or he'll, he'll kind of do his little ch or whatever. Yes. But he immediately takes ownership of the space and he snaps. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to snap them out of that. Then he waits. And he, even, he talks about how he's like, look, you wait for them to get to a place of calm. Then you have the discussion of, like, you know, Johnny, or, like, you need to do this. This is important. Dr. So-and-so is here to help you. That's when you have the rational conversation. But what do we often see again and again and again when it's that kid that's that's in that rage? And, again, most of the time it's, like they don't want, I mean, they don't want to have a teeth brushed in their six.
0: Yeah, that's
1: what it is. You know? And it's yeah. full-on rage. And it's how, how often – now, most of the time, unfortunately, the ones that are doing that, not always – a lot of times, it's the ones that are doing that. They know they can, and they're the ones that have that are never being reined in by the parents. So this is just a kid that's constantly, unfortunately, going to frontal lobe rage. It's actually where their brain is almost trained to go all the time, mm-hmm. and they have to burn out of it.
0: Yeah, they have to burn themselves out, and then they can. And torture.
1: nobody's snapping them out. Oh, oh, the article we read. I, I shouldn't say. Which one. I remember the article we read? Oh yes.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> And it was about a parent who was talking about how they never, ever, ever raised their voice with their kids. They never, uh, but they felt like such a bad parent one day because when they're, they were trying to get their four-year-old in the car seat and they had their baby too, and they were getting it and their four-year-old had a full-on meltdown and was screaming. And she just felt so bad because she just lost it. And she had the audacity of saying, stop, you need to stop. And, and she felt so bad that she raised her voice to her kid. It was something like that. She yeah. didn't She didn't hit her. No, she, had, like... she literally just used her voice to tell her to stop. And she said to her amazement, it worked. And within less than 10 seconds, it immediately worked. The child stopped, and the child was happy within 10 seconds. And she wrote in to the, the psychologist in the article about, like, have I been doing all my parenting wrong? I mean, I always thought it was so wrong to ever raise your voice to your child and to ever, again, keep in mind, she didn't degrade the child. She didn't say, oh, you're a horrible human, but she didn't hit the child. She literally used her voice to snap the child out uh,
0: of it. From the right. And,
1: <laughs> and in the article, the person wrote back, oh, no, you are right. Stay on the right course. The only reason your child got over it so fast was because of those four years that you you've been staying the course, <laughs> and I'm like, well, good luck to you for the rest of your parenting. No, like honestly, if you're looking at it from like a like, from like a physiological side, that four-year-old doesn't know how to deal with their emotion. As a parent, you need to rein it in and be like, snap out of it. And so, voice control, when used correctly, and we really can't much impedeo anymore. Again, especially the raising, we have we sometimes will lower, and I'll talk about principal talk in a second, but especially with a young child, the truth is. It needs to be the parent, but usually the parent that has already been doing that at home, the child doesn't need it in the office, and the child that does need it in the office is a parent that's never doing it at home, and then we can't because we're, we're really not the parent, but if that child had a parent who would come in that space and just simply, usually, unless there's some special needs going on, but usually if the parent was able to just look them in the eye and just be quickly like, stop it, uh, no, no. Stacy, you do not need to do this, or gym or whatever. Nope, Uh, uh, uh. that's enough. You are not in pain, you are fine, and they are here to help you. You need to show them respect, yeah. And then as soon as they give you a win, as soon as they start, that's it. I'm proud of you. I know you can do this. That's when you start giving the rationals. Yes, you're good. You can do this. I believe in you. This is easy. I know that little boy's doing it. I know you can. And then you see them rise to the occasion. But unfortunately, that part's kind of lost in modern day, just because it's a paradigm shift in parenting. So with the really young that kind of need that, it's, we don't often provide that because, because it's just not accepted. It's not understood often by the parent, but it's really like trying to get a, a dog out of a dog fight. You need to get them snapped out of that frontal So. From there, as they calm, you know, especially for like a parenting, again, you're not hitting them, you're not hurting them, not grading them, but you're just, it's a very quick stop. Enough. And the and really sometimes better if you're getting quiet. Okay. No. That no. Mm-mm. That's enough. <laughs> Our dog just sat. <laughs> but, and then it's no. And then they know, though, that, that you're there, it's in control, and you go to that place of controlled energy, you wait, you wait for them to be calm, and then you help comfort them through it. Um, With kids that are school age, sometimes I will use a modified version called principal talk, but only when I've, I've really gotten permission from the parents, and when I really feel like between the parents, the child, and I we we're trying to get everybody to kind of that same page. Principal talk is kind of what you would expect a principal to sound like if you ended up at the principal's office. <laughs> so it's not kind of that raising your voice, but it's low. It's, it's sometimes kind of lowering it. And again, it's only with school aged children. And and if you've had kind of the green light from the parent and what it would sometimes sound like say, if you've had a, a for instance, like a nine year old or something that's maybe had a bad experience kind of traumatized or maybe you know heard about a bad experience or something, but they they're acting very inappropriate for their age and they're going to that place of hyperventilation they're freaking they need to kind of be snapped out that's where you just enough I'm gonna quit if you do not stop you could hurt yourself your mommy loves you your daddy loves they brought you here to help you we are all here I am here because I care about you and I'm here to help you And if you keep acting this way, you could hurt yourself. And I care enough about you to not let you hurt yourself. You have got to stop. That is inappropriate. Now, this is of a child, like I said, older, school age, but screaming, but you need to get them out. But it's not not yelling at them. It's not trying to shame them. But it's trying to be like, you stop. It's trying to talk to them in the same way that they would understand that they would be spoken to in a principal's office. I don't think you guys ever get that bad (laughs) (laughs) and and ever have it be... But um, but it's trying, though, to, again, kind of work with that, that level of fear. And what's sometimes hard is, depending on their age, fear and defiance, you don't know which one is really the engine because they go hand in hand. And sometimes it's really impossible to see how much is it being driven by the fear, and so it comes off as defiance, how much of it's defiance that kind of looks maybe like fear. And, and I don't think we always are going to get it right on that, but it's really trying to come to a place what is best for the kid? Can we all come to a place where the mom, the child, all of us are in agreement, and we can actually be a team? Because if we can't be a team, if this is just me, it's being seen, and you guys think, God, don't kiss as, as evil dentists trying to hurt people and hurt children. And unfortunately, sometimes that's coming from the parent. They don't know that's what they're sending, but that really is what they, they even will say those things like all the time. They'll, like A new one will come in. You guys go take x-rays or you know, this and what what does the parent often say? It's okay, I'm right here, I won't let them hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, okay, so mom, dad, so what you just said to your child is if we weren't here or if you weren't here, we would hurt them. Oh no, that's not like okay, but but you, you just said I'm here, I won't let anyone. So thankfully, I don't think you guys have that as much, but you might get more of that over the years. It might get worse for you guys, so. too.
0: And you're right. What tends to happen with us is that, I, to me, it's frustrating because you get a patient, a young patient, you want to adjust them, you know you can help, but the patient is defiant because they run the household. Yeah. And they don't want to be we'll have this done. they don't, yeah, they don't <laughs> want to have this done. <laughs> yeah. So then they let the parents know they don't want to have this done, and they throw a fit, and the parents just go, well, I guess not today. And they just take the kid out, and they leave. And so then you're like... I wish that there was an opportunity for me to work this around, but yeah. the parents just kind of immediately shut it down and go, Well, they're having a bad day, so we're not doing it and we're moving on, which kind of goes to, I think, in some degree, maybe that's because they have less value placed on what we do. And maybe they see the necessity of it, but. You even know, we that, see it all the time. It though. does it too. It I does mean, it both we ways. just
1: get the, the beauty of the fact that we probably are better at charging for cancellation fees than it you guys be are because we have to. Um, but, no, I, I don't know, actually, if we always have it be valued more in our space yeah, than know. yours. But that is part of the frustration if you really are somebody who, you know, if any, if any of you chiropractors are listening out there and you're really passionate about kids, you just really feel like this is your calling and you want to kind of more sub-specialize it, That is going to be your frustration. When you actually want to help, I mean, and it's hard. I don't want to say it this way. When you actually feel a conviction that you're trying to help this kid more than the parent is, yeah, that is difficult.
0: Yeah, we see that, and that does work. Because
1: when that. you really care about kids, when you really care about, you know, there's always people like, oh, I love animals. Okay, well, do you love an animal to do what's needed to be done if they're in hurt? But there's, I mean, same with kids. Like, do you love them enough to, to do what they need? Because loving somebody isn't only just, oh, I love people, so I love giving them high fives and hugs. Well, do you love them when they're kind of unlovable and they're injured or they're, and they need your help? I mean, that's like, that's really, you know. And so when you have those kind of things, I think kind of coming back to that place of, again, communication and really shifting, at that point you have to recognize with those issues if you haven't actually won over the parents yet. Mm-hmm. You, you don't, even, don't even bother passing. It's like the monopoly, don't pass go, don't collect $200. You're wasting your time to try to focus on the kid if you haven't first won over the parent. That parent needs to decide that this is important and they need it and they want it and they want what's best and that they are on your team. If they're not on your team and they're wanting what's best for the kid then you're, you're probably not going to be able to help that kid. Well, that's what's
0: funny. There yeah. are times when it's like you got parent and kid, and it's, there's times when you almost ignore the kid and talk exclusively to the parent. Yep. And there's times yep. when you almost completely ignore <laughs> the parent and talk exclusively to the kid, and it's yeah. knowing which situation is which. And a lot of it has to do with who's actually in control here yep. and who is the, who's who's yep. feeding off of who and knowing yeah. what's, the head, what's the head of the snake. And then let's go after that. Okay. Then you know. So
1: I don't want anyone thinking that I think of any of my patients, <laughs> our kids, our parents, as snakes. But yeah, you I know yeah. you I know what you mean. Yeah, you want to know what's So, from. Um, <laughs> so part of that that you see me do a lot is um, both of us are working with an audience because we have the parent back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's some pediatric offices that they don't have the parent back remarkably, that's a lot easier. But I think in the end, I think we just don't live in that day and age. And I, I really do want to be very transparent. If, if for some reason things aren't going well, I would rather a parent understand and see. And I just also think that we live in such a, a day where um, I, never want to, I never want a parent wondering like what's going on back there. So um, if, <laughs> if I have a child that is the leader of their pack, you know what it's hard, which is hard mm-hmm. because young pups aren't meant to be leaders of the pack. It doesn't go well, it, you know, in pack life, right? Uh, it doesn't go well in, in family situations either, but we see it. We see a lot. We, we see a lot of young pups, and they're the leader of the pack. If I have a parent in that room with a kid that's the leader of the pack, the kid can seem like they are doing in fact, they might be doing great. They're on some. They're on nitrous. I'm using some verbal flooding. I've gone to now some TLC or sorry, tell show do with some TLC, um, using you know some different you know even some cadence stuff sometimes depending on how what show they're watching. I have TV. If I if I lose my focus from them even for just a couple minutes, and start talking with the assistant about the assistant, or I'm don't usually. i I'm I'm not usually one of those, but, uh, but if I talk with a parent, I will lose that kid. That kid will no longer cooperate because the focus isn't on them. And it happens and fast. They're to, oh, it happens like that. And a parent will have no idea why I lost the kid. In fact, what's difficult is when if I have a parent and child, and it's that situation, and the parent's thinking, oh, it's going so great, that they now can take this opportunity to chit-chat with me. It's very hard. It's hard that I've had to learn how to how to very quickly shut that down politely without them the parent being offended, because I know I will lose that child, because this child runs that house, and I will lose that kid. However, opposite, if I have a kid who is not leader of the pack, they're doing. But maybe they were kind of either had a bad experience, maybe they're just really young, maybe they're a little scared, whatever. But we're getting them through, and they're doing well. Sometimes I will purposely <laughs> speaking earlier. In fact, um, sometimes I will purposely strike up a conversation on the side with mom and dad as I'm working, and the reason why is because I know that that is a kid that the more they hear their parent in casual conversation, to them that means, hey, mom, dad, they're they're at, they're relaxed, they they're good, so I'm good. Because mom and dad's relaxed. So I'm relaxed. Because they're taking the cue from mom and dad. If mom and dad's relaxed, I'm relaxed. And if I have a kid that I know that the mom or the dad is more leader of the pack, it's not so much the kid, but I also know that mom and dad is, that one of them is nervous. And I almost take upon myself that it has to be my job to actually subtly distract the mom and dad while doing dentistry and taking care of a child and giving it an assistant direction. <laughs> <laughs> really, pediatric dentistry is just the art of multitasking.
0: Well, that's a good example like for us yeah. because uh, where it comes into the office is when we're doing x-rays. Yep. And the parent is trying to dictate how we do x-rays so you can run interference and with a conversation with the parent. Yep. And then that gives us the space to work with the kid and now the kids more cooperative. And we leave and everybody's happy and it all worked out. In chiropractic, we don't always get at that opportunity. And yet, if somebody had an assistant who could come yeah. and talk to the parents and distract them so that you can then get one-on-one time with the kid to get it done... Yeah. You can create that scenario where everybody's happy. Yeah. Otherwise you get where you're trying to juggle two conversations. But you know, at once, but even with like that work. though,
1: again, if you can kind of try if you can try to assess which type of kid and what, what kind of family you have, it's a little more difficult, especially if mom's trying to talk with you too and everything. That's where you're like, you know, mom, I, I really if it's okay with you, I really want to focus on what's going on with Jose. And I know that you want what's best for Jose right now, and I just don't want to miss anything. So if it's okay, let me really focus on this and then I will absolutely give you a chance to answer questions in just a second. Or you know, I'm going I'm about ready to adjust. I want 100% focus on Jose. So if you if you don't mind, was there any question you have right now? Okay, let's let's not then. Let's talk about that after because I want to I want to really talk to Jose. Then you give 100% talk to Jose because you know Jose is the one that you need to talk to or you know, whatever whatever their name is. And and that's where you're like, "Okay, you know, so has this been hurting you here and okay, you know, it, it, is it okay? With you? I really don't want to leave you in pain, and I don't want it to get worse. Um, now, this is pretty easy stuff. In fact, I just had a little five-year-old girl. She did great. Wait, oh, you're ten. Oh, yeah. No, it's easy for you then. No big deal. Um, yeah. Oh, you should have seen this little girl. She was five. She rocked it. It was no. Deal. You're gonna be fine then. This is totally fine for you. And I think, do you have trouble sitting still though? Okay. No. I need you to sit still. Oh, yeah. That's just that's perfect. Just like that. So you're really addressing him, but you're using a little bit of talking to him, talking about him. You, you can use some different techniques, but um, if you can keep in mind with kids, what is really something that you already know with adults, but you forget with adults because they're usually coming in and they, they're there. Why? They want help. Yeah. They chose to come. They drove themselves. They took a bike. They did whatever. Did They, they brought themselves. The kid didn't bring themselves. Mm-hmm. You already, won, the parent, you already won over before you ever met them because they brought themselves. The kid is not that way. So you got to win them over. And so you forget this with adults because you pretty much have already won them over by the simple fact that they came through the door. Granted, I know some are really difficult, but you, they still chose to come. The kid didn't. So if you can keep that in mind and the fact that really the only power you have to get them into a good place, being part of a team, to get them the chiropractic adjustment they need, for me to get them the dental health they need, the only power you really have is in your voice. You're not going to strap them down. <laughs> yeah. I'm not either. You know, They need to choose that they want to give you just enough trust to get to the next step. And we were actually talking about something a second ago before all this. We are talking about the whole John Maxwell saying that we really agree with. I mean, John Maxwell would always say, You can't come into a space thinking you need to command respect, right? Mm -hmm. You need to earn respect. And we, I don't know, we really love that. That really resonates with us. We feel like sometimes we see young docs that come and they they kind of make this mistake. If you think that you're going to demand respect from your patients, (laughs) have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun. Your career is going to be kind of frustrating, at least in the beginning. But if you come with the attitude that you need to earn trust. Just like, you know, if you don't come with the idea that you're going to command respect. For us, that's like staff, or for you guys' staff. You're going to earn, you need to earn it. Um, with the kids, just same thing. Come with that same attitude that you're going to, you need to earn that trust, and then each time they give you that little bit, you then got to make sure not to violate that trust. And if for some reason things don't go the way you want, maybe, you know, maybe some adjustments are what? Some adjustments are the best adjustments, but what? They leave you It'll leave you sore, right? Yeah. Sometimes the best adjustment to actually get where it needs to be has the side effect of not feeling great at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And Gonstead, what do you guys always get accused of? Oh, I, didn't. <laughs> I don't know. Are you going to crack my back? <laughs> <laughs> Can we just do it without cracking, without yeah. any popping, right? right. You guys are yeah. constantly kind of getting accused of. So if it doesn't go maybe the way that they expect it or the way maybe even if you want or maybe, you know, however... You what you own it but then you also if you can, if you see it coming ahead of time you preempt it you let them know what might come. but also if it you know again if it doesn't go you let them you, you just own it you let them know why you let them know how, how we're going to try to shift things and change and, and again you kind of constantly try to work on building that trust so
0: well I think the best way to sum this up is that a lot of this stuff comes from anxiety. Yes, Uh, And so behavioral management techniques are most effective for people who are overwhelmed with anxiety and are on the verge, if they haven't crossed over, to losing control of themselves because of their their anxiety. And so um, it does seem like where it differs is that in dentistry, that doesn't mean we can't do what we got to do because you might die if we don't. Whereas in chiropractic, what generally happens is it just turns into not doing the adjustment that day or a disappointing visit and they move on and nothing happens. And so that, that it, it's a little bit different consequences. So we don't have to find a way to power our way through. Mm-hmm. So that's where some of these techniques might be a little bit overkill for us. And yet I do feel like by using some of them, we can start reining in some of those that we're losing to walk out the door that maybe we can, get, we can kind of yeah. do our own tweak and keep them in the office. And some of them are kids, some of them are young adults. I, one of the ones for me that's the funniest is I had a girl, this was years and years ago. This was probably 18 years ago. Um, and she was terrified, but knew she needed it. So I had to put her on the high low and leave it up. And she just stood there for I don't know five minutes. And then she said, "Can you lower me?" So I lowered her down. And then I brought her back up. That's all I did: lowered her down, brought her back up. I need some, And she's like, "I need some water." Okay, so I get her some water. She drinks some water. Okay, let's try it again. So I take her down before I do anything. no, bring it back up. So I finally get her down. Then I release the thoracic piece. Oh no! Put that back up. So I put it back up, bring her all the way back up. Like, we start over, and we did this. It must have gone on for like forty-five minutes. Finally get her down there and I go to the thing and it goes clunk and I bring her up and she goes that's it? That's what I've been afraid of for the last 45 minutes and now my pain is gone? Why didn't we do that 45 minutes ago? (laughs) And that experience is like yeah if we could just we know what's going to happen if we can just get people past that obstacle that they place in front of themselves in anxiety
1: then we can do it and even that brings like a whole other topic that there's not necessarily right or wrong but it, it can go both ways you know Giving things too much time, does that make it better? Or does that just build the anxiety? Yeah. You know, or do they need the baby steps? You know, parents, same thing. It's—you know How often do we see a parent like, oh, it's okay, but I really talked to him about this a lot. It's our first exam, so I really talked to him. Well, did Well, did you over-talk <laughs> it? I mean, because, and I, what I was going to say before, but it may, this kind of ties into all of it. Um, and especially for any newer practitioners out there. Make sure you also, you know, do it. What is it like? Do a self check. What is it like yeah. before you know, or the plane before you give uh-huh. oxygen to you know, <laughs> take some oxygen. Um, we got to constantly do self checks because what we do can be also stressful. We, so if you are in a place of anxiety, if that, you are in a place of fear, again, watch some Caesar dog whisper. I mean, watch, some, but like, look, the if the owner, he always shows like, if the owner has. Stressful energy. If the owner stress, the, the dog senses it. The dog knows it. So our patients know it, but especially kids know it. So if you, if this is causing you anxiety because it's not going the way you want, I think, do a self check. Take a deep breath. Do the opposite of everything your instincts are telling you. <sighs> calm it down. Yeah. And you know, calm it down, and then you know what? Take a step back and realize, guess what? The sun is still shining, except in California where we've had all these fires. <laughs> no, it's just, but I mean, like, literally, like, take a quick little gratitude check. I always tell, like, the kids, you know, our kids, I always say, like, you know, have an attitude of gratitude. Take a second to have a little attitude of gratitude and be like, you know what? It's a good day. Everything's fine. Life, you know, this isn't the end of the world. And also, the, that little just couple seconds that you take a deep breath, and you just remember what's important. This is not life and death. This is okay. This is okay. If you can bring yourself back to that place where your anxiety is under control, you're going to help them get there. But if you can't, you might be finding you're just having poor result, poor result, poor result with your patients and having no idea. It's because you're really stressed out mm-hmm. and your patients are reading it.
0: You know what's funny about that? So Ben was telling me the other day that I guess they did a study on on athletes who perform well in last second heroics and they said that they wanted to see what was different in their mentality and what they found is those who fail are focused on what needs to be done or are focused on how they feel I'm sorry they focus Mm -hmm. on how they feel in the moment and the pressure and those who succeed are only focused on what needs to be done and that that's one of the different things about it that if you ask them how they feel they're like I don't know how I feel and it's irrelevant anyway I just know that this needs to happen and so there's something to that mentality that um, over time, I learned to be less focused on how I felt about it and more focused on what needed to happen.
1: Well, and we don't we only... don't talk about <laughs> that probably enough as practitioners about our own mental health and having to constantly keep ourselves in check because it's hard. What we do is hard, mm-hmm. and dentistry, yeah, <laughs> it's hard. I mean, it's, I mean, we really are the one. I mean, how many movies can you quick, like quickly think of that all have Dennis as? Mm-hmm. Something they make fun of. I mean, I'm thinking Little Shop of Horrors, Marathon Man. Like, what is that? Nine month or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, there's plenty. But uh, and there's unfortunately probably a lot of reasons for that. But if you can if you can kind of keep yourself in that in that space and in that check, but it's not something that's going to come naturally and we have to train ourselves for it. And the, the example I always think of is I think of like Jocko Willick and all the Navy SEALs. I love Jocko Willock's books. I love his whole, like, you know, uh, discipline equals freedom Mm -hmm. kind of thing for kids and how he's trying to now teach that, like, with kids or anything. because we always think of, like, discipline in this negative format. It's like, no, no, no. Anything you've ever achieved in your life that was worth having took discipline and hard work. So we want our kids to learn a healthy level of discipline to where they get to be adults that are self-disciplined, mm-hmm. not having to be ruled by anybody else. They, they can do that themselves. But I love how he talks about for the Navy cells, again, it's trained. Now, some start as eights and they get to tens. Some start as twos, and it's hard to get to <laughs> tens A John Maxwell. But they go into that mental place where they retrain the pathways in their brain to where tough times are, co- are coming. What do they say? Break. They say Bring good times. They just say good times. <laughs> You know, they're out in the mud and the rain and they're hurting. But they do it enough to where they retrain their brain. Good times. That's fine. So I've had to learn to kind of do that a bit when things get kind of rocky so that you can bring it back and not only how to breathe, how to go that place. Sometimes I I use humor. Sometimes I use whatever. But to have to go to that place myself so I can be that support person for the kid, for the parent, and, you know, and then also learn from my mistakes you know, And I think that's what's hard for all of us as practitioners. We want, to, we want to be heroes. We want to be perfect. But the truth is there's a reason why we call it a practice. Because really until we retire, we're practicing. Um, and that's well, hard on our egos. Well, there's, <laughs>
0: there's a reason why you think about Michael Jordan. Yeah. Didn't stop practicing at a certain point.
1: No, <laughs> like, no. He didn't be like, I'm going
0: to skip practice from now on because I'm the best. Um, Wayne Gretzky didn't be like, okay, guys, no more practice for me. Yeah. Like they, you never stop no, because there's no, no such thing as too good. So yeah, well you know, you and I go. and I
1: love, I love, I love how even Michael Jordan after he retired, <laughs> what was he always doing? He was always trying to still do pickup games with Kobe and who's the best? And <laughs> like, I mean, he was still always pushing himself. On the that's playground
0: just... of Bindy people, yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. No, so I mean that that's that's pretty cool. Well, and then you mentioned Wayne Gretzky. I mean, yeah. It's, the quote everybody loves. is just such an awesome quote, you know. He skate to the you don't skate to where the puck is. Yes. You skate to where the that's puck right. is going to be, and and that's where you know. The hopefully the more and more I, I live in this space of pedo, and then for for you, the more you work with kids, also with adults. Or anything, it's kind of trying to constantly predict ahead
0: mm-hmm. You're playing where chance, this not is checkers.
1: going. Yeah, Yeah. you realize trying to play. You're trying to
0: play chess, and you're trying to see how many moves Mm -hmm. ahead can you get to see where you're going.
1: Yeah, I mean, for instance, even I mean, this is kind of maybe a subtle example of it. But and I I know we got to wrap this up. But um, you notice what I do almost always um, at the end of procedures. I I'm trying intentionally to give power and choice as much as I can, as often as I can, back to the child. So it doesn't matter if the, if the procedure weren't great, and hopefully it did. If, if it was difficult, the child really struggled with it. You know, always at the end, we, we have this, this isolation that goes in so we can keep their mouth protected, their tongue protected, their cheek protected, you know, keep things nice and dry. Do um, and even if a kid is, like, obviously hating that thing and trying, you know, or maybe they're fine, they, they did really well. Either way, it's like... Um, are, you, are you done with this? It's okay. I'm done. Is it okay? We're all done now. Would it be okay if I take this out? Are, is it okay with you? It, I mean, they never say no. <laughs> yeah. They never say no, right? They're like, yeah, take this thing out. <laughs> and so, you know, then they can it like, oh, okay, you're good. Okay, yeah, let's take it out. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, we're all done. We're done. You know, same with the nitrous nose. I always ask permission. I'm like, is it okay if I take this off now? You know, we're all done. We don't need it anymore. Does it still smell like cherries or does it smell like... Like I'm like, oh, you know, yeah or no. And I'm like, but is, is it okay if I take it off now? Like, yeah, they never say no. <laughs> yeah. But there's something very nice in trying to find the wins. Find, a, find the places where you can give them that that power back, that space back, that win. Um, and so I don't know exactly where those like what those areas would be with you in chiropractic, but I'm sure you guys could easily think, think, of, think of a couple like yeah. in your head. Like, oh, okay, you know to where, to where it's, you're always trying to find some way that you could at least end with some wins and, and giving them the win. Um, and I think of this, I can't remember who, who made this quote up, but I really, really love this quote. I came across in college, and it says, victory in life is learning the difference between how to corner somebody and how to get them in your corner.
0: Mm, that's a good quote.
1: And when, you're, when we're working with our patients, we really want it had to be a win. It has to be that they're in our corner, that we're in the corner together. We're not Mm -hmm. just trying to prove that we're right or this, like, this is gonna, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, what good is that? Again, you might give the best adjustment, but now they're sore or now they're, but if they leave thinking that it was the worst adjustment, even though it was actually the best, you actually did what they needed.
0: Mm -hmm. And that does happen.
1: But sometimes they're still locked in their head, and no matter what you did, no matter how gentle you were, if they left if they, the whole time, were still convinced in their brain that it's going to hurt, it's going to hurt, no matter what's going to it doesn't matter how gentle you are, it hurts. it'll hurts. it hurt. <laughs> yeah. I sometimes will stop with really fearful kids because they'll, you know, at the very beginning, I'll, especially if they're, like, older fearful, you know, where it's, um, again, it's more older school age. And they'll, they'll just, they'll, they'll say, ow, 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 and I'll stop and I'll show them it's a Q-tip. With some topical on it, it's a Q-tip, mm-hmm. and then I'll I'll get a blank one and I'll have them fill. I said, "See, you know, Q-tips, you maybe have them at home," <laughs> and I said, "But this is what you're saying out to." Or like I, I had a kid, it was out to a little two by two gauze. I said we call it a tooth towel because if we did a bath towel, that would be ridiculous. So it's two size. I said, "But fill it," and I'll and I'll put it and so sometimes I will label it and I will call it. I said, "This is what you said out to." and I'll say if if you're going to stay out of this I said there's nothing I can do for you that you will not tell your brain that is it is an owl if if a towel in your mouth to you is an owl no matter what I do no matter how gentle I said well then your brain you're just going to tell yourself it's an owl and I said and, and I can't I said I can help you but I can't control your brain only you can control your brain and, again, this is for our kids more like, that like eight and older that are kind of there. Um, but, you know, so, so I, you know, something, again, just for I think all of us, it's constantly trying to, like, is, you know, victory in life isn't learning how to corner somebody, but it's learning how to get them in your corner.
0: Well, thank you for joining us. I think that was a great little conversation about, uh, about behavioral management. And I know that in chiropractic we don't generally think about how our our, our actions, our conversations, how they influence the patient, and even their perception of pain and things like that. And so it's good to start thinking about those things. And that's why I thought it's great because my exposure to that through dentistry has, has me thinking about how that might affect in chiropractic as well, something we never even talked about. So thank you for giving us that today.
1: <laughs> hey, thank you so much for having me.
0: Once again, I'd like to thank my wife for joining me today. Her behavior management skills really are magical. But I've also had the opportunity to watch them develop over the years, and I can tell you everything she does is intentional, and that might be the biggest takeaway from today's conversation. We need to be intentional in our communication if we truly want to help our patients to have the best experience, and that's doubly true when it comes to kids. I hope you learned something valuable today that you can apply tomorrow. As always, I hope you have the very best week possible, and I'll see you again next time.